This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day, Matt. Who would, who would I rather spend mm-hmm. this glorious day with than <laughs> the three of you, our special guest, my date for the day, Zach Fuentes. Yes. Welcome to the set, sir. Dude, I'm so happy to be here. We're, we're happy to have you. You've it's had a hell of a week, a hell buddy. of a week, yeah. All right, well, well let's, let's start there. Tell us a little bit uh, of... Catch everybody up with the backstory. Okay, so I'm a longtime listener of the podcast. Um, my wife and I last summer decided to get rid of the house and travel full time in an RV. I love that. Yeah, so we're down in uh, Florida in uh, Navarre Beach, and you know we're parked pretty pretty much on the beach it, in an RV park. And you guys come on. It's a two hundredth uh, anniversary or episode, I should say. And I had it on in the RV, but then I remembered, oh, there's a couple things I want to do outside. I'm going to work on my bike, et cetera. So I go outside and I had come on about halfway through the deal and realized, oh, wow, they're, they're giving stuff away. This is cool. They'd never done that before, you know, with the wheel and everything, which is super exciting. I mean, that's one of the best episodes you guys ever had. I We've think. been talking about it. It was so much fun for us. Too. Yeah. I mean, really, it was great. Um, and, but I didn't even know, to be honest with you, I didn't know what was on the wheel or what was really happening. I was out there listening and working. And then I heard, okay, we're going to get, uh, this time we'll do two people, blah, blah, blah. And the first one is Z Fuentes. I was like, what the, (laughs) I was like, hold on. Did he really say that? And he goes, Z Fuentes. I was like, what do I, like, what do I do? That's me. Yeah. I was like, how do I talk to him? I don't. And then, you know, it was such a shock. And then you go, okay, we're going to send the link out, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I get on the freaking podcast. Well, I forgot that it was still going on inside the RV. Right. So I'm outside with my headphones and, and listening to it on my phone. And um, so we start going through question stuff. My wife is in the bedroom. And that morning we had been talking about, she's like, so, you, you know, we've been talking about this kind of a restart to my poker career for almost a year now. And um, she said, so like, what does it look like? What do you want to do? And I said, well, I mean, I primarily want to play in Vegas. I don't like playing in Texas anymore. I've been playing in Texas for, you know, almost 20 years now, uh, 15 of it really seriously. And I just want to get to Vegas and I want to start a, a real career there. Okay, awesome. So one of the things I said on my bucket list was I want to be, it's so strange that I'm here right now. But I wanted to be on the Solve for Why podcast. And I wanted to play poker out loud. We literally <laughs> talked about that that morning. That That's is so, so crazy. wild. Uh, dude, I'm telling you, it was the strangest, most surreal thing that's ever happened to me. And the look on her face, you can even see me when, you're, when we're going through the questions. She, she's knocking on the window, looking at me going, what the hell's going on? <laughs> because she's watching me on TV on the podcast. Right, right. Like, she can't put together like how I got on the podcast. She had no concept that you guys were doing a giveaway or anything like that. So it was a real shock to her. And, um, you know, you were uh, the other gentleman. I forget what his name was. He actually won. But you were generous enough to say, hey, let's let everybody spin the wheel. 
So the wheel spun, and I had no idea. I had an, I had an inkling that the uh, the academy was on there, mm -hmm. and a couple other things, a picture of Landon, yep. and some other things. You know, wait, did did you win the picture of Landon? No, 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 the other guy did. Okay. He won yeah. the your subscription mm -hmm. and the picture of Landon. Oh, okay, yeah, he right. spun twice. He's I still spun waiting once. on Landon, and so he Come got on, that. And um, Melissa spun for me, and it landed on Poker Out Loud. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, two bucket list items are just getting checked off. Mm -hmm. right, you know? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Vegas and play on Poker Out Loud. That's freaking amazing. I was coming up for the win millions because I was at the WPT championship at the win and all that other stuff. And I had played the win millions the uh, year before. But I just had no plan to be here during this time certainly didn't have any plan to play the uh mspt right um that was just a hey i'm here why don't we do i didn't even know about it till you said till you said that and ironically i didn't go play it the whole yeah. reason we were talking about <laughs> right. it is because i was like yeah i'm gonna go play this 1100 like i just got to get out there you know yeah i couldn't bother it was <laughs> crazy well you could only get second place so. right yeah I, that wasn't good enough for me to get out of bed yeah so um i ended up uh where, okay, so where am I in the story? Oh, yeah, there. And then so, you know, I got to come play uh, Poker Out Loud, which was a really great experience for me. Um, I love, you know, I just love the whole concept of it in terms of being able to learn from pros, listening to how they really think about hands and in the moment. Some are better than others, and, you know. Um, I definitely was underestimating how difficult it is to really express because you know i'm you know i'm 51 i started playing poker in 2003 and other than you know in the beginning other than reading super systems which allowed me to just start crushing games that's really all you had to do back then yeah you know I, totally I, agree i thought you did for what it's worth i thought you did fantastic for for just someone being thrown into this situation because it's not like you said it's not easy to do it's not easy to speak your thoughts out loud and for someone to just be thrown into it i thought you did you know, pretty well and people will see it uh you know yeah i wasn't even, i had no idea who was going to be playing either mm -hmm. um so when i showed up and spraggy's there i'm like spraggy's here hmm, yeah okay <laughs> tonka's here tonk fuck tonka's here okay <laughs> and then you're telling me oh yeah this is you and he's our newest i'm like oh shit oh, here we go. <laughs> and then we pick then we take the seats and matt's on my left the only lucky <laughs> thing was i had the other guy who was at the academy was on my left which mm -hmm. kind of made things awkward because i have him to deal with at that level and then you you know i was thinking wow this is going to be tough to navigate here and um you did okay well i mean yeah i did okay <laughs> but um no spoilers burke <laughs> yeah but you know i uh, i i played poker until 2019 when i said i'm just kind of done because the majority of my poker years were playing high stakes in private games in texas where it's illegal it's not like playing mm -hmm. private games in vegas or the south i mean there's the legit threat of the police knocking the door down i played in games where gunshots came through the door um and the host is holding the door shut so Jeez. guys can't get in and kill us and and and, and steal everything and that was like a legit thing getting rolled in the parking lot getting held up that's all part of playing poker in texas underground yeah. i i appreciate that you bring that up because i caught a lot of flack for kind of pointing out that these risks exist current day texas as well even though it's kind of under the guise of being legal now yeah uh in my opinion it's just like the private games just got put out in the public sector 
for the you know I will say this in Austin games are a lot better than Dallas and Houston games. Sure. Anybody that lives in Texas understands why. Um, if you go to Houston, it's it's the Wild West out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, those folks, they like their poker dangerous or something because <laughs> those places are always getting shot up. Yeah. Someone get, gets caught cheating or, you know, they have the, I think you nailed it because they have the old school mentality of, you know, when I played these games back in the day, I there were some games that if I did too well in, I just wasn't invited back because I wouldn't give them a piece. Right. And that's a, that's common practice. So they carry, when they have these legit poker rooms now, they have their horses in there, mm-hmm. you know, every day. And I think a couple, couple of them got caught with um, that, uh, that version of the shuffler where you can kind of control everything. Yeah, Atlanta got cheated in it. Oh, Allegedly. No shit, you Allegedly. were there? Mm-hmm. You, uh, yeah. Yeah. The difference is, is that if you get caught cheating in Texas, you got to leave. Yeah. You don't get to like show up a year later and play and everybody just keeps quiet. You know, you got to go because yeah, yeah. things get serious. Yeah. Um, I mean, hell, we don't even really needle in Texas because that's, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a gentleman's game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you yeah, break those laws, then it's going to get. Yeah. I, I guess like what I meant more so about bringing the private affair to the public realm is kind of. When you look at it from the criminal standpoint of if they want to hold people up, if they want to roll someone in the parking lot, all these things, yeah. everybody's kind of corralled now into these public venues yeah. that are extremely public. They're posting on social, they're advertising. Uh, you know, you kind of have everybody hemmed in in yeah. a way where it's not that hard to pick off the the higher profile uh, individuals. And I know that I, I'm not trying to put blame on the clubs and say that sure. they're not doing enough. Yeah, I'm just saying that, you know, even as a Vegas professional, there are certain protocols that I have to go through in order to play without being fearful. Oh yeah, you have to have boxes, you have to valet, you have to, uh, you know, go through all of these steps to ensure that like you're safe. And when you remove the lawfulness of the casino, like not that they're doing a ton for you, but they're doing something for you. You mm-hmm. know, the they they are at least regulated by the government. Uh, so you're somewhat insured when you take that away and you, now you just have like mom and pop, uh, business owners running these places. Yeah. Your safety isn't exactly paramount. Yeah. Um, that's, I I would say that's true. The only club that I can vouch for would be the lodge Mm -hmm. because if you're in the lodge, you do have, you have armed security in the building. It's not just some guy standing at the front door. They normally have four or five, especially on big tournament days and stuff like that. But once you get out into the parking lot, you got to, I mean, you just got to have some street smarts. And yeah. yeah. It sounds like uh, you guys are kind of in a place um, with legislation where it could go one way or the other. I know Caitlin was mentioning that uh, they seem to be getting closer to passing this. Um, I'm not sure if it's countywide or statewide, but to where uh, this is legal to a point where uh, undercover uh, or off-duty police officers would be able to work security. Mm-hmm. In which case, that changes that changes everything, yeah. right? Because when you have a guy who's just able to brandish a firearm yeah. that you're paying some amount of wage to, he's not exactly uh, the most reliable source, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. But like, oh, I will say this though: there's one exception, and it happened at the lodge. It happened at the old lodge because mm-hmm. the lodge used to be a smaller lodge, and then they kind of expanded into something else. But a guy like literally ran in there, I think was an AK-47 or, or an M-16, it's probably an AK, and 
The guy stopped him. The guy, one guy at the door who I used to tip like, you know, 20 bucks to walk me to my car. That's the other thing you got to. Yeah, yeah, of course. You have to take care of that. He stopped him, which I thought was like incredible. I saw that happen in Houston where a guy broke in with an AK and was like, uh, the, the guard got into a wrestling match with him yeah. and the AK popped off a few times, luckily just like into a brick wall or whatever, but he disarmed the, the robber when it was all said and done. Wow. Yeah. Which is like both courageous and also like, and that may be what scary. I'm thinking about, but the guy did stop someone at the lodge, I think a while back, mm-hmm. but it may not have been an AK 47, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're just going to do their best and they're going to, you know, yeah. if they lose, they're going to die like everybody else in the room. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. It's just, it's so young there. Yeah. I mean, I say it's young, but I mean, poker like is a part now, of Texas, right? like, just like football is. Right. You know, I mean, I it mean, is Texas, it's hold Texas no limit hold. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so we've right. been playing it a long time. We just have a very special brand of poker, which is, you know, if you're going to learn to play poker in Texas, you have to be super comfortable with aggression, like right off the bat. If you can't, be comfortable with aggression, then you're just not even going to be able to like, um, you know, uh, refine your game in, in any way, because it's, that's the first thing you have to learn is how to deal with that. So that brings me to my next question. Then why do you want to get out? Why, why Vegas? Okay. Well, so I've been playing for since 2003 in Texas. Um, the last, you're going to love this. The last three years I had run so incredibly bad i mean it wasn't just your normal you know variance which i've you know i've been in and out of bankrolls i've you know over you know when you play for 20 years it's just part nobody gets through that without getting crushed but for these three years man i tell you i could not win a freaking hand it didn't matter what i had if i flopped a boat they were going to get that card on the river and i kept you know i was saying babe what is going on like am i curse like what is happening here i just couldn't figure it out and um she knew a um an astrologist that dealt with locations and i was like okay i I will literally do anything right now so we call this guy he's the best in the world you can't get in with this guy for six months the whole thing he looks at my charts you got to give him your birth date the whole thing he looks at my charts he was able to tell me the exact year that my dad died all of these things. And I was like, okay. All right. So long short story short, he nails basically my entire life. He says, okay, you were born between ages this here and 10. You probably have this happen, but here, blah, 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 blah. Things like this year, you had a near death experience. I was like, yep, I sure did. Here's about when your father died. If he didn't die, he died shortly after that. And Mm -hmm. that's not general. That's pretty so he said, look, here's the thing with Austin. Austin used to be a really great place for you with business and homes and stuff like that. He said, but it's shifted. He said, you're, you know, you have a Jupiter line here and I'm trying to follow the whole thing. You have a Jupiter <laughs> line here and Vegas is a really great spot for you. And also here's these other cities. And I said, well, I play poker and, um, you know, I'm just getting crushed in Austin. doesn't matter what happens. And I had another business deal go through. I've owned, you know, three or four restaurants, two breweries in Austin. So business has been good for me there. Yeah. Um, her, my partner and I had a healing center there that was like extremely, uh, uh, did really well. 
And then I started to have things go sideways on new deals. I couldn't figure it out, plus the poker. So I said, okay, fine. I had, I said, okay, I'm gonna play one more tournament here and then that's it because I didn't fully believe in it quite. I played a small $200 tournament at the lodge that I won. But when I tell you it took every ounce of like divine volition to, to win that tournament, I'm not kidding. It was more than just a regular tournament. It took everything. And I said, it just can't be that, that, that hard to win these tournaments. Oh, especially let me tell you, Zach. That's <laughs> I, well, I know what you mean because I have played other tournaments and I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> but it was, it, there was something very different about that. So I won that. It was like 13 grand or something like that. And I said, okay, so I'm going to go to Vegas and we're going to see what this guy says. If what he says is true. So I come to Vegas. I, go to, I play a Venetian deep stack. I get second for 58,000. Let's go. I go to the win and I play uh, 1600 there and I get 22nd or 25th, something like that for like 5,000. I'm like, okay, this is, it just felt like I was more in flow. I was running a little more pure. I wasn't winning every hand, but like the nightmare wasn't happening yeah, every yeah. time I shoved, you know? Yeah. And so I said, okay, there's something, there's something to this. So I wanted to start playing more volume. I was really loving tournaments. I've been playing cash my whole career. Um, and so I said, okay, I'm gonna really make a run at this. She said, yes, let's make a run at this. And then boom, got COVID. Hmm. And so I was down for about a month, long COVID, probably four or five months mm -hmm. of where I could really have the energy to like play a multi-day yeah, tournament, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, came back, played, um, what was the next one I played? Can't remember. I think it was at the win. Um, I think I cashed in that one too. I think I got 33rd in one of those for like 7,000 or something. And then um, I think I left and came. Oh, and by the way, all these times that I'm playing tournaments in Vegas, when I come up here, I usually play cash like three or four days ahead of time. And then I make basically all the money I need to play like three or four tournaments. Yeah. And so that was just the cycle, right? I'd yeah, come yeah. up with like three grand and turn that into, you know, 17 or 15,000 after a week, jump in a tournament, all gone and then sure. go home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so came back up for the WPT and um, I think I got, I cashed once in that for like 7,500. I got like a hundredth in the bounty the mystery bounty, the very last one. I played the $10,000 championship because I jumped in the 2040 and won like 13,000 that night. So I took that 10, so I'm gonna- Vegas has been good to you, man. I'm telling you, dude. And the only reason why I'm telling you this is because I just want you to know that there's something to that, you know? Well, as a deep believer in the stars myself, <laughs> Zach, I, I can Why fully... Why is Melissa on the show right now? <laughs> I can fully relate where you're coming from. I mean, right. you know, when Uranus is aligned with my taint, it's like <laughs> I the, the I listen, just align. <laughs> listen, I will, I will tell you this. I'm being a little bit facetious here because I truly believed in all of this way before we ever did it, but I wasn't... You know, I know that astrologists and, and psychics and all these other people, they're just like lawyers, doctors, mechanics, whatever. There are really great ones and they're really crappy. Ones, sure. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, there are ones that are super talented and there are other ones who are just trying to scam people. And that goes for really every profession. But um, so I, 
you know, I'll tell you that like I, and Chewy knows this about me. There's, that's the other thing that made me play tournaments was Chewy came to town in 2015. Wait, a, how well do you know Chewy? I, I've known him for a couple years, just like we'll, we'll text every once in a while back and forth. But okay. he had a big charity tournament there. Mm-hmm. I won that. And I, that, I was thinking back, you know, after COVID, I was thinking, man, if I go back into poker, I, I, I'm just done with playing cash in this town. I just had, it, the stress was just too much at that time for all of the private games. And that's actually when the, those rooms started to have bigger games. Okay. Because in the beginning, you couldn't really find, the 2-5 yeah, like would barely make, like yeah, late, yeah. late at night, if there were a couple big winners in the 1-3, mm-hmm. it would make. So you couldn't really make a living off of it, even though it is a time uh, game. Um, so I, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to play tournaments. I want a challenge. I've, I've never really played a whole lot of tournaments. And I remembered back when I won that tournament how, how much fun it was to go deep in something and to win it. There's just no feeling like that. You're going to have a big night in cash. It still doesn't feel that same way because you know tomorrow night could be a very different story. I have an opposite feeling. There you uh, okay. <laughs> well, First of all, the tournament sensation is so fleeting for me. It's so few and far between that I almost can't even remember what it feels like. Right. Um, but I think that you start reaching a certain threshold when it comes to cash. Like, uh, and you're just about at it. Like the 10, 20, 20, 40s. Like when you can start winning 20K plus in a session, yeah. uh, that starts to represent such a big chunk of a tournament score. Yeah. Where it's like, no matter what your average buy-in, 20K is almost always going to be a pretty big return. So now whenever you like call it double or triple those stakes, now all of a sudden like a good night is 50K, 100K. Yeah. And it's like, that's a tournament score. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah, like such a... I agree with you. Because no, there's I, definitely... Well, it's the yeah, time sink. Right. It's the time... It's that, but it's like, it's the thrill of the... Of, of like, like I beat a thousand people. Or you know, I, be, I think the issue you know, is... I, like, like the excitement leading up to the final table... Then being at the final table, and then like the conclusion of it, where a cash game is just kind of just. Perhaps it's it because your conclusion is when you beat a thousand people, they hand you a trophy. It's where when I true. beat a thousand people, they hand me the third place prize <laughs> ticket, <laughs> and that just feels like a disappointment. Yeah, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I've never played that high. I mean, I think the biggest winning night in cash I've had ever had was thirty-two thousand. That's good though. I mean, that's that's you're in the top one or two percent for sure. But if I was winning 100 grand a night, I could totally see that being, well, at least for a while, you know, you know what it's like with money. I've never gotten numb to it. No? Uh, you know no. how, like, as you're, as you're progressing, you have these, like, certain thresholds where it just becomes the new norm? Yeah. Like, you know, when you're in the 2 5, five 10 range, like, winning or losing 1,000 has just become, like, the new norm. And, like, 5,000 is that threshold where you're like, ouch, kind of, yeah. or, like, it feels really good. Yeah. And then as you progress, you get to like 10, 20, 20, 40. It becomes like 10,000-ish. That's like the barometer where it's like, oh, that kind of stings a little bit. Or yeah. that feels nice when you win. Uh, that, that barrier for me was set. And I was very comfortable with it. I was playing like 10, 20 before I started playing high stakes. But then I jumped straight from 10, 20 to 300, 600, 1,200. Wow. <laughs> so I had to get accustomed to 100,000 now representing what like $1,000 yeah. used mm-hmm. to represent to me. And, uh, you know, I was only on the hook for like a quarter of it, uh, of my own personal money, but still spending like seven years in that realm where you're, where you're exchanging seven figure pots and six figure pots are incredibly commonplace. Like stacking off for one buy-in is losing a 200 K pot. Like yeah. you just do that for a while. 
it, I never got numb to it. And after the fact, when I went out on my own and started playing relatively smaller, like now I'm playing 100, 200, 204 and something like that. Winning 50K still feels like winning 50K. Yeah. And it just like always will. Yeah. And maybe that's because like, I'll just never be so financially sound that, you know, it doesn't make some sort of, it doesn't move the needle some sort of way. Yeah. But like, I've had millions of dollars and still winning 50K is just like, wow, that's nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a backyard if I want it. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. For sure. What but about when you win double the 50K? Yeah. Uh, well, I, can tournament. I mean, I'm kind of weird. I'm, I am one of those people. I really don't care about money because I've had, I've had mm -hmm. money and then I've lost money and I had money and lost money. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur, you just kind of like, I, I can cycles, detest. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we're on the same wavelength. The astrology thing, yeah, the, exactly. the, yeah, the hatred of money. We're there, man. I'm with you. <laughs> how, uh, how, how, so you said like that, uh, that tournament, that last one you played at uh, Texas was like such a struggle to, to, to get through. So when you played this, uh, this one this past week, was it, did it, was it like, did you feel like everything was like uh, falling in line and things were just like, was it, you know, easy to it, get was, through or? It, it was, it was really like that because, you know, I had aces once and that was the final hand and I had That's kings awesome. once. Yeah, you limped, you limped and uh, I like the, the, the little limp. Yeah, I don't even fall. remember how the hand went, to be honest yeah. with you. I just remember uh, Josh's energy kind of shifting where he was feeling kind of defeated because mm -hmm. it was it was a it was back just and back forth. and forth i mean it was shove fest mm -hmm. we were rarely raising and um almost never limping and then i was kind of getting the best of him because i was really putting my you know foot on his throat towards the end when he was starting to get because you know it, the blinds were two hundred thousand. so you're putting 400 if you're on the big line you're putting four hundred thousand in yeah. and you got seven thousand or seven million yeah. right so you think seven million is a lot and then you get there and you're like this is not gonna last very long. You, right. have, you know, what seventeen blinds? Mm -hmm. So um, I just just kept pushing. We 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 almost did a deal when we started heads up, but we couldn't. We just couldn't come to terms. Mm -hmm. um, I just said, "Well, I've got nine million. You've got seven million. I basically said, "You know, all I see, I'm chop right now. And we'll go home." Yeah. And I think you know when I ran it in my head, I said, "We'll both get about a hundred and maybe me a little bit more. They ran it. They said, you know, you get 103, he gets 100. And I said, that sounds like a good deal. Do you yeah. want to take it? He was like, no, I want the trophy. And I said, well, I want the trophy. And he said, okay, that's it. <laughs> what was what yeah. was second place? 86. And first was like 120? 117. 117. Wow, that is, he must be really rich. <laughs> no, well, he said, what he said was, he goes, let's do this. We'll, we'll, we'll chop it, but we'll put you know, 10% in the middle, which is like 20K, yeah. and then we'll play for the trophy. Yeah, but the, the chip disparity is enough where you shouldn't ever take that. No, deal. I didn't. I yeah. didn't. I said, no, let's just battle it out. And then we just kind of looked at each other like, I'm, I'm about to fucking kill you. And then <laughs> I hit fucking Rage Against the Machine, and we just went at it. Let's go. Uh, there was one hand that happened, I think, three-handed that propelled you up to the chip lead. Um. <clears throat> Sorry, I wanted to ask you about it. It was actually like one of the only hands that was reported on you, uh, which is kind of funny. But what I, I need to know, like what the actual action was. It was uh -huh. the queen seven versus ace ten, blind versus blind. Uh, you had four point five million to start the hand, uh -huh. and they had you raising to two million and then calling off two point five million more. But I couldn't figure out what the blinds were for that to ever be a thing, because. Either you only had like five big blinds with a third of the chips in play, 
or I don't you, even remember that hand. Or you just open to like it was blind on blind. Yeah, um, it was against Josh. He had ace ten off, and you had queen seven and spiked the seven. Unless it was just misreported, which is very feasible. I don't think it could have been because um, he was he was one two he was three to my right. Okay. Well, this would have been three-handed. So I don't oh. know if he was on your left at that point or not. But either way, if I, you don't remember probably, the hand, it's not very interesting. It was interesting. probably me just, just trying to, to, over, to, just to run him over. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I was more interested in... If that's in, the way that it went, but I don't remember that hand. Yeah, I was just more interested in what the actual like blinds were because I couldn't tell if you guys were short or not. Oh, if we were three-handed, I think we started three-handed at 150. Okay. It, it went real quick. Like yeah, once, yeah, yeah. Once we went heads up. Yeah, we not we didn't. I don't think we ever got above two two hundred. Okay, and it was so yeah, I think that makes 40, sense. So you were probably like twenty ish blinds effective, maybe yeah. a little less. Yeah, like eighteen blinds. So you effectively put yourself all in and then called. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that's a lot less interesting. <laughs> it would have been more interesting if you were just like opening to twenty big blinds, blinds and calling off twenty five. <laughs> no, no, just yellowing Definitely it. would not do that. Um, yeah, it just came down to the that point where you're like, okay, I need to start running this up because this is. You can't wait for a hand. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. and I, th I think at that time, I think it was queen seven of diamonds, maybe. Okay. And I had already, you know, I, and Josh even said this. Can he's, by the way, he's a super tough player. I mean, everybody knows that. This is like nothing against Josh, but he, he told me, he goes, man, you've been freaking owning me all day. And he was just in that mindset. And I was showing him hands too. Like whenever he would play back, I happened to have a hand. Yeah. So it was kind of that Timing dynamic. is everything, especially mm -hmm. in tournaments. Yeah. It was that dynamic. So I knew every time I was raising him, he was like, does this guy always, he was like at that mode, does this guy yeah. always have it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was one of those um, just trying to run him over. That is one of the beautiful things, whether there is anything to the astrology narrative or not. It's, it's one of those things where it's like one of the greater placebos. Uh, and this is an industry where, placebo goes such a long way man like if you yeah. believe in yourself i don't i'll take the guy who wholeheartedly believes in his ability with half the poker skill over the guy who is riddled with self-doubt but twice as studied mm -hmm. every single day of the week yeah but that's absolutely true and um i the only thing i would say to that is when we say placebo effect what we're really talking about is the power of someone's belief or thoughts. Yeah. So that's a real thing. So if we say the placebo effect is real, then we have to say that just the power of your thought right. and the power of manifestation is real. Whether that's a placebo for a pill and curing a disease or whether that's, you know, running good. Um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, towards the end there, um, I felt his energy shift where he was kind of like at that point where he was like, fuck this, you know, kind of like f feeling a little defeated. And I knew he was going to be putting it in with almost anything. Yeah. So I kind of rolled out some of my worst hands and um, to call his shoves with. And I, he shoved with King four off or something like that. And I looked down and it was aces. I was like, wow, did I just freaking <laughs> win this thing? But I had such a bad experience with Pi you know, Timothy Pye that I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, to be honest with you, because yeah. I lost all these other. So I just flipped it over, stood up, and I was like, you know, if it just 
please just hold once, just yeah, right now. Right? Just hold so I can go home. You saved your one time for the right moment. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but everything else was honestly, it was table draws. I mean, I had great, great tables. I was picking up orphan pots just all day long That's in nice. position yeah. and just it just keeps you going through moving through the <clears throat> tournament right when i was following along they, they weren't really covering you much but like it looked like you went almost wire to wire like you kind of had the chip lead from the start of day three yeah pretty much all the way down to the final three with yeah. a couple hiccups along the way yeah there were a couple you know like i said you know i'd get it in ace queen against somebody else so and i it was really funny because i have this thing now where if i try and force anything even in the slightest it it backfires if i let the game come to me i almost can't lose and that doesn't mean that i'm never shoving or anything like that but you know when the, when it's going to work right yeah. and then you combine that with it's your board for your range you've got the nut blocker and you've got you know there's a possibility that you know you have some other outs that aren't necessarily that strong but you could have outs and you and you just and you know that and you put it in it's so much different than trying to force the game. You yeah, know? yeah, of course. Um, and so if I can stay in that zone of flow where I just allow it, I'm just in complete and absolute um, allowance and receptivity, I always do super well. It's If I get frustrated or anything and try and force in the slightest bit, it always backfires. I was talking to you about this. Uh, tournaments are a very unique beast in the sense that uh, they're so uniquely different from how cash games operate where your goal is to win pots because pots equate to money in your pocket but tournaments aren't that's not the incentive right it's just to uh not die and yeah. then eventually outlast to the point where you collect all the chips it doesn't matter when you collect all the chips right as yeah. long as you collect them all so uh, i was kind of speaking to him and i said you know the way structures are built for tournaments they have a finite end point they're built to end at like level 30, level 31, somewhere in this range. And the fact of the matter is in a live venue, because of how slow everything is and um, just the nature of how a three-day tournament is structured, the winner will oftentimes only be dealt like six or 700 hands, maybe fewer actually. It's probably like closer to 500 hands, depending on how much heads up play actually yeah. takes place. Uh, of those 500, you're only expected to play maybe 25% of them. So like 150-ish, let's call it. And then of those 150, in order to win the entire event, maybe you win like 55% of them. So your goal is to actually win 80 hands yeah. from day one to day <laughs> That's three when it's all said and done, yeah. right? Uh, and maybe my numbers are a little off. Maybe I'm off by a factor of two. So maybe it's like you have to win 150 150 hands, something yeah. like that. But we as like studied professionals who pour all of our heart and soul into learning chip EV and how to chase every single finite edge kind of put ourselves in harm way, harm's way a lot of the time, according to the actual structure of the event. Yeah. Because if you look at the call it 25% of five or 600 hands that you're dealt, you may actually have a profitable spot in like 65 or 70% of those hands. But the, the, the error rate for you to get that 1% edge is greater than the actual edge itself. And now that extra 15 or 20 hands that you play could potentially be where you die. Yeah. And I was using this as an example as to like, we were talking about, you know, some of the WPT champions of the past where we're just like, how the fuck does this guy do it? You yeah. know, it's like, he's been here twice, three times. All these, it's like, this guy certainly would fail 
a poker quiz if we made it up for him. How does he keep doing it? And I was like, well, they don't bust themselves. Like, yeah. we five bet jam ace five suited because it's, it's making small amounts of money. Yeah. And they just don't, and they live on. One of the things that bigs. really made a huge difference, and it goes to exactly what you're talking about, is as a cash game player, I'm playing a multi-day tournament, and I'm trying to fucking win it on day one. Yeah. I'm trying to play every pot because that's just how I'm used. To, you play every mm-hmm. pot as aggressively as you can. You just win, win, win. If if it's you know, and I was once I told myself, look, dude, you're not winning this tournament today. Your job is to bag. Yeah, that's it. Bag a healthy stack. You come back tomorrow and you just do that again. Yeah, I think I think uh, experiencing it a lot throughout time is helpful too. Uh, like the times that throughout my career, I've I've had a very high success rate on day ones. Like I've just, I've had a very, very unfair share of bagging chip lead or top five stacks Mm. throughout my career. And most of those manifested into deep runs. Mm -hmm. However, if I actually look at my deepest runs, my seconds through fifths, call it, because I never win and I never get ninth. (laughs) uh, If if I look at those, almost... Uh, for the vast majority of them, with the exception of like, I remember one WSOP six max where I was chip leader day one and like came into the final table chip lead. Uh, with the exception of like one or two, almost all of them, I bagged like starting stack or less. And I can remember that they stick out very, uh, very transparently in my mind because I was so miserable after day one because I didn't achieve the top score. Uh, I didn't bag uh, the chip lead like I'm accustomed to. I knew that it was going to be a rocky road and that I was unlikely to cash now and that I was certainly unlikely to win. But then day two goes way better than day one. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly you bag chip lead going into the final three tables. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really important, I guess, to have that positive reinforcement after what is otherwise perceived as negative feedback in order to remind you, like, that's not how we keep score in this particular format. Yeah. It it's meaningless. There's also like no pressure. Like you come in with like a below average stack, you're just like, okay, well, like there's no pressure to like cash or to, to run deep because you know, you, yeah. you there's you're just expected to to bust a lot. So then you just maybe you maybe you play a little better or maybe or maybe when you when you have the chip lead, you're like, I want to maintain this chip lead throughout the Well your job thing. is very different when you bag a chip like when you right. bag a hundred big blinds, your mm-hmm. job moving forward for that next day is so different right. than if you bag 25 blinds. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the, the whole strategy is going to be different, mm-hmm. and you're also going to have to shift through strategies a lot more fluidly whenever you come in with that stack mm-hmm. because the likelihood of maintaining it slash growing it is still going to be less than you losing it. Right. Right, which is going to ha- force you through strategy shifts. Whereas when you come in with 25, the most probable outcome, if you last throughout the course of the day, is that you just maintain... 25 blinds yeah. level through level yeah, through yeah. level. You're just yeah. winning just enough pots right. to breathe and live. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you catch hope. a double. Right, right, exactly. But just like you're, survive you're very, until you hit a rush. Yeah, you're very unlikely to, to just like shoot up to the chip lead. Right, of course. Uh, and obviously you're pretty probable to bust, which mm-hmm. doesn't require much of a strategy adjustment. True. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not much there. But um, so now that you have had this six figure score, this is your biggest career score, correct? Oh, yeah. What's, uh, what's, what's your plan with the money and what's next uh, poker-wise? I mean, the money is just, you know, now I have a bankroll and have to come up here and play cash games for four days to play tournaments. Okay, that's good. Um, I'm going to come. I'll be back here. I'm, I'm going to leave tomorrow. I go back to Navarre Beach, pick up the wife, get the dogs in the RV, get everybody back to Austin. I'll be there for about two weeks to relax, and then I fly back up here for the mid- 
the wind millions nice. on the 22nd. Oh, it's that late in March? I th- it's February. I think it's February 22nd. Oh, okay. March. Okay, yeah, 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 that yeah. makes sense. Because I was going to say, I thought it was the first week of March. Yeah, yeah. It's February 22nd to like March 23rd or mm-hmm. something. Okay, cool. Uh, are you going to do the Lodge at all? I know they're doing a big, big thing next week, yeah. I think. I have about two years before I can play another hand in Austin. That's right, yeah. It's <laughs> I'm, I'm, shifts, I'm, not, right. doing I'm just yeah. not doing it. Burke. That's fair. It's the Vortex. Mercury's in retrograde. God damn it. <laughs> I forgot. It's the Vortex. My bad. <laughs> I'm telling you. Have man. you been to Sedona? Fuck yeah. I've been to Sedona like <laughs> yeah, of course eight he, times. He's like, I have three houses in Sedona. Look, man. <laughs> Sedona, Sedona's you, great. I going, love it. Yeah. Going back to the Chewy story. Oh, yeah. Um, you never fished that. So literally until the the wpt championships mm-hmm. i had hair like down to my middle of my back okay and my beard was like down to here okay and when i won that tournament uh chewy's uh charity tournament he was gracious enough to, he said hey you know we're having a little get together over at the house that i'm staying at here in austin you know why don't you come by we're gonna have a tea ceremony and all that stuff and i was like okay cool so i got to go over there and hang out with him and we talked you know about poker but we mostly talked about spirituality the whole night and um so one of the things that the reasons why we got an RV is we, my wife and I, we travel so much because we teach spirituality on the road. We have big um, retreats in Sedona. Mm-hmm. We just had one in Navarre. I mean, really good San Diego, all over the right, place. You're, right? you're a Reiki master, right? Yeah, I was a, a Reiki master. I've now moved on to another healing form called mm-hmm. quantum harmonization, but all of that stuff, anything that had to do with healing, you know, I was a, I was a, you know, in the restaurant business for, you know, 25 years. And when you're in the restaurant business, you're a big drinker. There's just, just one long party really yeah, being right. in the restaurant business. And, um, in 2012, my dad passed and I got a divorce. So it was like a big like shift in my life, massively. My dad was my best friend. Um, I took care of him the months, you know, eight months before he passed at home. And uh, it just really kind of opened up my eyes. I, I said, okay, I'm done drinking. All that stuff just kind of went away, you know? Um, and I, uh, I just said, there's gotta be something other than this, you know? So, I stopped drinking and that just, I didn't really didn't even make the choice. I just didn't have any urge to drink again, yeah. you know, um, and just started working on myself. And I ended up, uh, meeting my wife now who is an amazing, amazing woman. I freaking idolize her. She, her capacity for love is, is limitless, literally limitless. It was the first real time in my life that I had experienced um, unconditional love, mm-hmm. true unconditional. Um, and that really just kind of shook my whole perception of reality. And um, I delve. So I was a Reiki master teacher, um, neuro linguistic programming, life coach. You name it. I just started taking every course and class and flying here, flying there, and just really going through all of the self-help type stuff. Because, you know, when I was drinking, I know I was an alcoholic, but I wasn't the picture of what most people think an alcoholic looks like. Mm -hmm. I was high functioning. I had several businesses, several restaurants, two breweries. Um, I got out of all of that. I had a tech incubator with some other partners of mine. 
Um, and so I was high functioning and never got a, even a DWI, never got in trouble with the law for drinking or anything like that. But, and I drank because it was fun. That's what I thought at the time. And when I looked, once I got sober, I realized there's a reason why I was drinking every single day. You know, I think the longest I had gone without a drink from age 18 to 42 was probably three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Never suffered any physical damage. And when I just decided to stop, I just stopped. Cold turkey. Never had another urge to drink. It just didn't fit, you know, my life anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how we met. And, um, you know, she had been practicing for 20 years. Um, she's absolutely a miraculous healer, um, teacher. She's just an... A, an incredible human being. But so when I was talking to Chewy, you know, I, I think even Chewy, like I make Chewy honestly, and he'll, he'll probably back this up. I mean, I kind of make him look like, you know, like a buttoned up Wall Street banker. <laughs> Chewy's was, my favorite, favorite intellectual that I think I've ever come across because dude, he he's the is, he's so far on the spectrum of empathetic while still maintaining like a very high degree of like rationality and logic yeah. that uh, I find him very easy to talk to about these things because yeah. he can kind of recognize the duality Absolutely. of one thing doesn't make a lot of sense and we have almost no information on it while the other side just says like, okay, we have these models and structures that we have to abide by. These break all those rules. Yeah. How can these two things coexist? Right. Uh, and that's like where all the fun is had is trying to figure out the, that's the really gray. Interesting because I hear that about poker a lot too. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, rational uh, theory versus feel players or whatever, you know, all these names for mm -hmm. people who play intuitively. And I, it's been, it's just been my experience that there is no conflict there and there is no duality there. When I'm in the correct state of being, I have built a database, right? I built a database by studying by reading, by watching videos and all this stuff. So I have all of this information in me. And when I allow that game to come to me and play intuitively, it, whatever it is, accesses my database and then the perfect play flows forward from that, from that time. So yeah. I, could be, I could be making uh, a bet based in theory but inspired um, by consciousness. Yeah, I actually think that uh, the way you're articulating this kind of kind of makes me comprehend why that's correct. So th the reason why the duality exists is because we have machines that can calibrate towards towards perfect. They can't be perfect, but they can calibrate towards it. Yeah. So we get a glimpse of what the game is supposed to look like in a vacuum, yeah. right? But um, everybody's operating off of intuition. Everybody who's playing the game across the spectrum, in, especially in a live venue where uh, you're not getting any volume in, is playing intuitively. Yeah. So the reason why you can actually calibrate your intuition and have it be the most optimal play, even if it looks wrong or doesn't stack up according to what the computer would do, is because the competitors that you're up against are also operating off of an intuitive plane. So you're both just kind of walking blindly through the night 
and one of your intuitions is going to be much more dialed in. You're going to have more of a, 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 a flashlight, so to speak, to navigate, right? Where the other one is just going to be feeling their way through the dark. Um, I think a lot of us want to just defer to the machine because it's a much brighter spotlight, right? Or it's a much safer <laughs> spotlight, so to speak. Uh, because well, I, there's also a lot of social pressure, don't you think, in the poker world right now? To If you're somebody, yes. Yeah. If, like, if you're me and you want to play on a stream, you're not really allowed to break too many rules unless you're just willing to accept that everybody thinks you suck, yeah. which is fine, honestly. Like, it's this weird bell curve where uh, at first when you're starting off, you do suck, so everybody thinking you suck doesn't really matter all that much because <laughs> it's just confirmation of what you already know. <laughs> then you get like proficiently good and you recognize that you're proficiently good, but you want to blend. Yeah. So you start doing you you start conforming a lot more. And you start understanding a lot more. But then you get over that hump and like you know zoom out and see the game for what it is and realize that you know there's a lot more to it than just the black and white nuts and bolts X's and O's. Yeah. And you start to deviate into pathways where it's like, well, I think I can cause some error right here or there. But like at the end of the day, we're just going to be exchanging EV one way or the other. And I just think maybe I'm a little bit more proficient than this person is. Whatever. Uh, and you're willing to embarrass yourself in order to do it. Yeah. But you're hearing the you suck again chance. Yeah. So it's like you just have to be pretty comfortable with uh, your why behind what it is that you're doing. Yeah. And also just kind of accept the fact that like by default, our intuitions suck. It's not that they don't exist and it's not that they're worthless. It's just that they're worth less because without calibration, they really are just like our fear-based uh, brains kind of kicking in saying like this is scary run away and fold or yeah. this feels nice like get that's all the money in point. as fast as possible well you know so here's something that's coming up when you know there is a so intuition is a skill it's a it's not haphazard it's a skill that you can definitely build and i know that chewy would definitely back me on that he i know mm -hmm. that he's experienced that yeah um, I think where people get confused is they try to feel into it rather than sense. And so the difference is this, the body feels and the higher aspect of you, the awareness senses. And so you really just illustrated that perfectly by saying that, that the fear and all of these other things, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, so we have what people call gut feeling. Your body can tell you certain things about people, places, et cetera, that you've never been before, never even met. And you yep. just kind of feel, and you're like, oh God, this doesn't, you know, I don't trust this guy. Mm -hmm. But it will also tell you because of limbic impairment that this is a bad situation for you. And someone could place a really large bet on the river. And if it's, if there's that limbic impairment where the, you, now you're releasing these hormones, your body's going to say, don't call. Yeah, exactly. Hold your freaking hand. Exactly. If you can orient your consciousness away from the body and to that higher self, then none of that matters because your, your higher self is infinite. It doesn't care about danger. There's no such thing as danger for it. And that's sensing into it more. And it doesn't have anything to do with the chemical release or the bodily processes or even the mental processes that happen in those moments. I think that's why strategy is so important because you have that default you to, have to have it if, to if lean you haven't onto. mastered it's you got to master both yeah let's put it right, to right, be right, great right. you got to master both right? right um but to have just that then you're gonna lack an understanding minimum you're gonna lack an understanding of what your how your opponent thinks of the game agreed 
if they're playing you know a very gto uh based uh theory based and you're you don't know anything about that you're not going to have any understanding of how their of their perception of the game and vice versa how to counter yeah right if they're just playing strictly intuitive and you're you know emulating a machine yeah you're also going to be on a totally different wavelength and you guys are going to exchange ev based off of your error rates yeah and there are guys that obviously you know I think a lot of times we chalk it up to them just having a really good mind for games, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but it, it's different than that because you know you can't study a solver and become Phil Ivy or Phil Galfon. Right. It's just not going to happen. You yeah. got to have the extra it factor thing, and I think it really is their ability to sense rather than feel and kind of. I mean, it's really their ability to be in flow more often than the average human being does. Yeah. And that's right with. You know, Tiger, Jordan, you name it, any of these athletes. I mean, you're an athlete. You know exactly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, We've I think all for- taken that basketball mm-hmm. shot where the moment it left your finger, you knew it was in. How did you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like you and would so say that's that really what it's like. Like natural ability. Yeah. Kind of, right? Like like you just say like some some poker players, and they, they've like lasted so long in this game just because they have that, that quote-unquote natural ability. Yeah. And, and then like when you marry that with – the studying and understanding the game deeper, then that's when yeah. The it's true tough to quantify. It's tough to quantify, right. but it's like some sort of predisposition mm-hmm. to problem solving as a whole. And uh, one of my favorite books, one of the books I gift the most, is uh, the Gift of Fear. And the whole book is basically framed around this limbic response and how actually trustworthy it is in the vast majority of extreme cases. Yeah. Uh, but how that breaks down as you become hypersensitive to it. Absolutely. Right? So like poker is a great example. You face a big bet on the river. Now we're hypersensitive to something that's not a threat. Yeah. Um, but we've conditioned our brain so much to put a hyper importance on money and on the risk there of money yeah. that we trigger our, pr- uh, our primitive brain to go into fight or flight again. And yeah, because, theory you know, trades you out of that. Yeah, And that's a really great point because look, when we didn't have TV and all of these other things, our limbic systems weren't impaired mm-hmm. to the degree that they are now because they were meant, you know, when that line jumps out of the tall grass, you got to hit it. Now you can watch horror movies. You can watch all these things all day long and your limbic system doesn't know the difference between make-believe and real life. And you're constantly hitting it with all of these things that are happening on TV or even rap song, whatever it is, constantly hitting it. And it really thinks the world is an extremely scary place to be. Right. When it's never been safer yeah. for all and intent so, and purposes. You know, I think there's, I've definitely done a lot of work on my limbic system, especially after COVID, because I felt like after COVID, I felt like I had even more limbic system impairment because I was having these kind of like feelings of doom and dread when nothing was happening. And I'm self-aware enough where I could realize, okay, why is my body releasing these chemicals right now? What am I, what do I believe that isn't true in this movement? So I would do limbic uh, uh, impairment uh, building and heal that. Annie, Annie Hopper is a doctor who had uh, multiple chemical sensitivities, and she put out a, a, a training course on how to rebuild your limbic system, get it healthy again. Because what happens to people who have these multiple chemical sensitivities is they found, she found out, because she's a, she's a doctor and studied it fully, that if you have a limbic impairment that creates a trauma in your life that never gets corrected there is a possibility that it then starts to spread to other events so let's say like um she got sick uh on some medicine when she was a kid 
And then in, when she was 15, she ingested something else. It wasn't supposed to be bad for her, but she felt super, super ill. That's the limbic system telling the body, you just ingested something that's super dangerous. Mm -hmm. Then it would move to perfume. Mm -hmm. Then it would move to car exhaust. Then it would move to toxic paint on the walls, uh, carpets outgassing, and then she's living in a tent in her backyard. Right. You know? And then she figured out, she thought my body is just super sensitive to all of these. Um, and then she figured out it's my limbic system. So she rebuilt her limbic systems with this training and now she's perfectly fine. She can, it's the same body wow. and she can be around, you know, perfume and everything else and has no issues. So it's really powerful how that primitive aspect of our brain drives our everyday lives on levels that we're just not even conscious of. Yeah. And I think poker is a great forum for self healing because it does have to do with money and that's one of the things that we're most traumatized about in our lives right. where we put so much emphasis on. yeah I, I say it all the time i think poker is like just a fantastic sandbox for life like oh, if ever yeah. you could scale life down into a simple game uh it, it really does kind of hit all of the broad strokes of of what you have to deal with day in day out whether it's risk reward um, you know, simple EV calculations, uh, being able to navigate the social aspect of it. Like there's just so much about the game that kind of tests your fortitude when it comes to uh, the areas of life that will help you fail or succeed when it's really yeah. all said and done. Um, yeah, I, it's one of those things where it's like people always ask, if you were to have kids, would you teach them or would you encourage them to pursue poker? And it's like not as a career, but like yeah. very much so as a, a hobby because I think it's just like worth that much from a problem solving standpoint. For sure. And then if you if you do try and take the step to do it professionally, that's when you really learn about yourself. Yeah. You know, because it's like the losses really dig. And I think the difference between really great poker players and decent poker players is that self awareness, that ability to say, Wow, why did I tilt? Why did I just hunt all that money off for no damn reason what was really happening within me in that moment yeah you know well it's it, it's very similar to entrepreneurialism it's just it's much more immediate right yeah absolutely you can rock it off a thousand dollars in a split second yeah where if you're an entrepreneur like you could do things to uh effectively destroy the business or the product that you're creating but it's it's over time yeah right you have to wake up every single day and consciously decide like i'm going to self-sabotage this project <laughs> yeah until it's worthless yeah uh where with poker it's like you just have a flash moment where you're just like i fucking hate myself and i don't deserve this money anymore and just you know smash it all in the middle yeah as a big fuck you things never go my way i'm just this is just this is how i have any power over my life I'm going to decide that all this money's going in right now, even yeah. though it's not for my better good. Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're all petulant children at the core. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, that, that's that's for sure true. That's how we got attracted to this game to begin with. We yeah. just want to throw things at one another <laughs> in the form of clay discs. Um, <laughs> that, that took a turn that I wasn't expecting, but I, I do appreciate these conversations. Uh, you may not even be aware, but like some of my first masterminds were all around limbic response and the fight or flight and how it actually impacts uh, our strategy or lack thereof yeah. uh, especially coming from like someone like yourself who started in 2003 that was all we had to operate off of oh, yeah. it wasn't like we were studying game theory at the time or it creating was all logic osmosis tables. yeah yeah it was really just feeling out your environment and trying to do things better than the other monkeys throwing shit at the table <laughs> alongside yeah. you yep. you know it's like yeah. you just, just want to duck them as much as possible and i will say that i'm gonna sound like an old man for sure but um 
<laughs> there was something there was something really pure about that era of poker. Oh god, yeah. Because mm -hmm. it really well, just seemed like the most intelligent human was going to rise to the top. There yes. was no way of being a mediocre player that just had an edge because they could study solvers, then jump in and start beating up one, three, two, five, you know, et cetera. Yeah. You just had the, the cream would always rise to the top. And that's not to, that's not to make it sound so easy. Like it's not like anybody could just be mediocre. The, the, the barrier of entry there is still relatively high. Like it takes some level of high IQ, but you're right in the, in the just rote memorization yeah. can get you so fucking far now. Oh yeah. Uh, and it, it's so, it's mostly painless. Like you'll see so many you'll see so many stories now of kids who have an aptitude for poker that just have a straight line up. You know, there aren't really going to be struggles. We're not going to be doing podcasts 10 years from now interviewing kids that got into poker in 2021 right after the pandemic saying like, "Well, tell me your story, you know, what's it been?" and they're just going to be like, "Well, I started at Micros and I grinded for 3 months and then I had somebody go through my PT4 uh, database and they found that I was folding rivers too much, so I stopped that and then I shot right up to 500 no limit and uh I never really looked back. So, you know, yeah, I just I just wrapped up a session on high stakes poker. Uh, I won a half a million and that's my biggest score to date. So, you know, we're just moving right along. Got yeah. a stable back, back home. Yeah. Uh, my, my sister's running it, you know, she's doing all the money management. It's like, it really does become, it, it's a mature market now. Yeah. Right? It's just like anything else as it matures. Um, it's a different set of skills now that need to be acquired in order to be that 1% of 1% and, and really show up and show out. That's not to take anything away from the people who have the natural aptitude. It's just that the game kind of self-selects now way, yeah. in a way different manner than it used to. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, uh, it's, a, it's a very different game now. It, there are some aspects of it that really have never changed. It's still a game of people. Mm -hmm. You know, because I even, I'll see younger players who I know have been studying because I can, I can watch what they're doing. I'm like... You're either mimicking one somebody you know who has been studying, or two, you've been studying and and understand why you're supposed to be doing that. Yeah. And then there are still, you know, the, the freaking solvers are aggressive as hell, and they don't offer just one solution to it. It's right. Thirty percent here, you know, sixteen mm percent. -hmm. And I still think that human biases have a lot to play. Oh, for sure. In that, for because sure. I see guys picking the three quarter pot. Way, way too often. Yeah, some some of us like Landon choose to hide it and pretend like they mix all the time. The rest of us lean into it, uh, like myself, and just you know fire at will. Yeah, and then you know say it was low frequency. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll uh, do it every time. <laughs> Prove it. And and honestly, I don't even. And I'm not saying it's that particular best size, but you know what I mean. Like no, they're I know doing, what you're saying. They're not really mixing. They're kind of doing. Their biases are kind of. Uh, they're they're playing in a certain way, but their bet sizing are is totally it's almost played scripted. into their biases yeah, yeah 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 and if you can figure that out then you know i i honestly think that with you know when gto became a brand i think people started to really misunderstand what the heck that was what they were 100 percent, 100 because the brand was if you play this way you can never be beat it's the biggest misunderstanding of how game theory actually functions. Yeah. People miss, people miss this very clear caveat in the definition of equilibrium 
and that it's it requires two rational actors. The definition of a rational actor in that construct is two people who are trying to play an equilibrium strategy. The second one of those players is irrational and just defies that, your parameters have to change. And in a game of imperfect information, that's something you just have to be able to adjust to on the fly. Yeah. So most of the best players in the world are going to be very well-versed in theory, but are going to be very capable of freestyling in almost all scenarios that they're presented live. Yeah. Unless they're playing a 250K high roller with 30 people who are trying to mimic the same strategy, they're often going to be in a wild environment. Like, I'm going to play at the bike today. Uh, you know, versus Helmuth, who's going to VPIP 6%, and Robbie J. Lou, who may VPIP single digits, may VPIP half the deck. We have no fucking clue, right? But, like, it's going to be so much randomizing and not in the frequency sense, right? Not in the sense that the computer would have you randomize, but in the sense of, like, oh, I just feel like playing this hand this time right now, and I'm going to do that. And maybe this hand is something that you're supposed to play at some frequency and maybe it's just a zero percenter. But in any event, like as a rational actor in that environment, I have to be able to react to irrationality. Yeah. And it's not deferring back to what the machine would do. Yeah. Now I just have to operate off of what is logical when somebody's breaking the quote unquote rules. Yeah. In Texas is a really great example of that because when we started to have larger tournaments there, I played a couple. I went to Houston and played a couple there and there were a lot of um, Vegas, like mid stakes pros there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard the same thing from them. These people aren't playing poker. This is fucking bingo. I can't fucking play <laughs> yeah. against them. Like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, the whole thing. And I was just thinking, it's like, man, you don't have the ability to shift into. Well, it's hard. It's hard because the roadmap isn't nearly as clear. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the younger generation has, has kind of come up with a guiding hand. I don't want to say the answers in the, back of the book, so to speak, but like at least some guidance. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things I say every time we run an academy, uh, and generally we'll, we'll pull from people from these player pools from Texas, uh, from Washington, which is like cap no limit and just goes multi-way all the time. Like these specific regions, Florida, where they don't get to play within the boundaries of, of game theory all that often, they'll start complaining and say like, well, in my game, this doesn't apply. In my game, this doesn't make sense because like these people aren't doing these types of things. I say this uh, very simply. If I gave you $1 million to play 1 million hands on Zynga Poker and show a profit, could you, def could you divulge a or could you uh, come up with a strategy that would allow you to win one big blind over a million hands? And every one of them says yes. It's like, okay, well, yeah. they're not incentivized to ever play correct because it's free. They're not risking anything. You take the risk factor out of poker and the game breaks. Yeah. So if you could come up with a strategy where all of your opposition has no strategy, like openly no strategy because there's no incentive to have a strategy, then I promise you, you can win in a game where everybody is incentivized to make money. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like what the nuts and bolts of it uh, come down to. You have to look at both extremes. Game Theory Optimal is one isolated extreme where we put the game within a vacuum and we try to see where it breaks if everybody attempts to be perfect. And we look for those breaking points and we say, okay, these are where the errors are going to occur once we enter the human element. The whole other extreme to that is you remove the risk factor, let a bunch of humans battle it out against one another and see how fucking ridiculous this game can actually be yeah. if everyone has 100% VPIP ranges. Somewhere in the middle there is what we actually do on the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. And that's the fun part. <clears throat>
Yeah, it's amazing. I, I love this game so much. You know, I've, you know, to play it for 20 years and play 15 of it illegally, I just, I've loved this game. It was, you know, I was an athlete when I was younger. Um, and really at the table was the only time I've ever felt like I did when I was on the field. Mm -hmm. That comfortable and, you know. Yeah, that's relatable. Yeah. I was, that you kind of answered the question I was going to follow up with, with, uh, do you still see the game the same way now that there's been such a hard shift towards no, theoretical no. study? Because <clears throat> I study. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't go through and study individual spots. Like my, I think a better, and I could be totally wrong and maybe I'm just old or something, but I think a better use of my time is just to watch videos and, and figure out why the solver how it sees the game or why it's doing certain things from kind of like a heuristics, yep. you know, vantage point. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I take that into consideration and, and I do that. And I, I mean, the game is much different for me now than it was in 2019 because just studying over COVID and watching those videos and stuff, I'm a much, much better. Yeah. I really am. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I played those private games in Texas for so long and just as I kind of like was like I'm tired of this I, you know I really don't want to do this anymore and I was running businesses at the same time too mm -hmm. so it wasn't ever like I had to you know I had to win to pay rent or something like that. Right, right. I started playing poker when I was 32 years old mm -hmm. um, so but during that time when I started to like tail off and not show up at those games anymore the free uh, free poker not free poker but the legal poker uh, clubs started to really come up and then there was a younger generation of pros that kind of would like quit their job and you know they had 180,000 and then they start playing they can play higher and then there's this you know Jay Wynn and a lot of these guys that are in, in Texas Skull Mike's not really one of them because Skull's kind of an OG as well he was playing back in the day uh, but there's a whole group of them that are the streamers now yeah and um, I was watching them and I was thinking, wow, you know, it's incredible that this guy in literally 18 months went from playing 1-3 to 25-50 on a stream. And um, that really spurred me to like start studying. Yeah. 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 And to be honest with you, it was my ego as well, because I remember and I was watching an Andrew Nimi uh, video and he said, um, you know, I'm going to be playing with some of the best players in Texas on this stream. And I was like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> okay. I need <laughs> Got to get in there. I felt old. I was like, I'm going to go back and play some fucking cash to, you know, yeah, yeah. that whole thing. Yeah, of course. And, but it really just drove me to just take the time to just study more. And that's great. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Uh, well, this has been an absolute joy. Uh, you were the most pleasant surprise that I think could have ever possibly come out of the giveaway. I'll say. Oh, man, it yeah. was wonderful. Uh, I'm so excited for you and for uh, the big upswing that you've kind of had this past week. Uh, I'm happy that uh, Poker Out Loud was a bucket list item and we were yeah. able to fulfill that. It was great. That was that was This amazing. right here is a bucket list item. Yeah, and I really appreciate this conversation. This has been a lot of fun, uh, at least for me. Uh, I think, you know having been in the game for a similar amount of time, like we kind of see the same evolution and, and follow the same kind of lifeline as far as what drives the game and what inspires us to, to play, what feels like we're playing our best versus like, you know, what is measurably yeah. uh, our best selves and, and things of that nature. It, 
it's tough, man. You know, you live on uh, the turn of a card for a long enough period of time, and suddenly you just kind of embody the game in in yeah. certain elements. Um, but yeah, I mean, this has been a complete ple pleasure. Really appreciate you joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. Um, on that note, uh, we will be back tomorrow. I believe I'm going to be calling in from L.A., uh, by the time you guys see this, I'm hopefully mashing one <laughs> Phil Hellmuth. A uh, couple of things to get out of the way. We have a MTT Academy. It's going to be our only one this year. It is May 25th, 24th to the 27th. May 24th to the 27th. May 24th to the 27th. 18, the 18 seats. 18 seats, yes. Uh, guess what? Going back to the We're old format. one. Okay. So 17 this is, seats. This That's is how fast they're going to go. Just been announced. We've already <laughs> sold one seat. So 17 <laughs> seats remaining. Uh, the structure of the event will be four days long. Each day will represent a phase of the tournament. Um, the way that we structure it is if you bust, you basically come back in with the average stack. That bust total is held against you whenever we're determining the final uh, quote-unquote prizes. Uh, the final day will be a final table for everybody. Matt Hunt is going to be leading the way, uh, taking you guys through all of the impacts of ICM, uh, the difference between early stage play, late stage play, things of that nature. Really excited for this uh, WSOP tune-up, so to speak. Uh, so if you guys are interested in that, be sure to join. We also still have a few seats remaining for our Poker Out Loud Academy. That is April 15th through the 18th. Um, this is going to be a four-day academy and also the last Poker Out Loud Academy that we run this year. We're going to go back to the old format for the second half of the year. Uh, this will probably be the last uh, cash game academy that we put out until, I would imagine, sometime in September. Yeah. So um, if you guys are interested in that or either one of those, head over to academy.solferwide.io or hit hashtag uh, MTT Academy in the chat or hashtag Academy <coughs> for more information on either of those. That's going to do it for us. We're out of here. I'll see you guys tomorrow with uh, a big W in the win column, I think. Do it. Peace. See you then. Peace.